Welcome back to the Auto Blog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori. We've got a great show for you this week. It's last call. Last call for the really high-powered internal combustion Dodges. This is a demonic challenger. Uh, Road Test Editor Zach Palmer was there. Welcome to the show, Zach. Thank you. Yeah, the uh, demon, demonic, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, this is this is the craziest challenger yet. Whenever you think that they can't outdo themselves, they go ahead and outdo themselves again. <laughs> yeah, this is this is crazy. Over a thousand horsepower um, can run on ethanol. Uh, it's got a parachute. There's a lot to unpack, and the reveal itself was pretty wild. I watched the live stream. Zach was there. So we'll get into that. We know basically everybody really wants to hear a lot about that. We will talk about some other things, uh, the Integra Type S. There's an electric Ford Explorer in Europe. It looks very different than really any Ford Explorer you have ever seen, likely. And then we'll talk about what we've been driving. Zach has been in the BMW XM, uh, the Volkswagen Jetta Sport, and he took the Kia EV6 on a road trip. Uh, so he'll tell you how that went. I'm still spending time in our long-term Toyota Sienna. Finally, we will spend your money. It's a good one. So with that, let's get into last call. Uh, this is a crazy car. There is so much going on here. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting that they actually chose to unveil it in almost like kind of a chill shade of gray. You know, maybe it was just like let the rest uh, sort of, you know, it's do the talking for it rather than put it in some crazy shade of orange. Uh, 1,025 horsepower. That's what it's running on ethanol. Alcohol, uh, last call starts to make a little bit of sense here as you talk about it. 170 is actually the proof, uh, I think, which is kind of wild. Only Dodge would bring something like that up as it relates to the fuel, which is, it's kind of interesting. Um, but what are your impressions? You were there. What do you think of this thing? Yeah, man, just the reveal itself was, I mean, unlike anything I've ever seen for a car reveal. I mean, Dodge and FCA Chrysler going all the way back to, you know, the old Cherokee. They've always done dramatic reveals for things. Mm -hmm. uh, this time they helicoptered the car in, uh, had it hanging from a giant rope on a platform. They flew it in. We were at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway at the drag strip. It's a crazy windy day outside, like 30, 40 mile an hour gusts. Uh, I was like, all of all of the other journalists are like, all right, man, how are they going to pull this off? They had like a military chopper bring it in. Um, yeah, it was it was a spectacle, and it absolutely should have been a spectacle, just because, uh, like you're saying, last call, this is it. Uh, after the 2023 model year, the Dodge Challenger and Charger, as we know it, will be no more. So yeah, they went out with a bang, and this is definitely the biggest bang of them all. Um, I mean, you can option a friggin' parachute on it. Uh, it goes zero to mm -hmm. 60 on a prepped surface in 1.66 seconds, does the quarter in the eights. Uh, yeah, this, this thing is, is utterly nuts. Um, it, it's faster than a Tesla Model S Plaid in a straight line, which has been like the king of the mountain now for a long while. But uh, get this on, on the same prep surface as, as a Model S Plaid, and this will outrun it, both the 0 to 60 and, and in the quarter mile. Uh, so in that way, internal combustion, uh, as, it's, as it's leaving uh, the building here, is, is uh, still winning. <laughs> now, maybe the Model S Plaid could match it if it was also on Mickey Thompson slick tires like this thing is from the factory. But uh, now this is, 
this thing is still very, very special and there's, there's nothing that you can take away from it. Um, back to your point on, on, on the color though. Yeah. I was, I was also disappointed seeing it roll in and this like silvery gray, um, man, it's, it's Mopar. Like they're known for their colors. <laughs> yeah. Like I would have yeah. loved to see like a plum crazy or a go mango, just something, something really interesting to celebrate that heritage. But, uh, but I guess that's, that's, that's not what it is. Uh, we get a lot of other really neat touches seeing the car up close and all, um, like the new little demon badge on the side, it has a 170 neck tattoo on it. That's just a, you know, a, a really neat touch. Dodge is always known for doing stuff like that. Like the challenger in charge of red eyes, the little, uh, Hellcat logo has a red eye in it. This guy has a small neck tattoo. Um, just all sorts of little things with this car that make it a lot more special than any, any other challenger out there, even the original demon. So did you like seeing it? Do you think that they, uh, lived up to the hype of what the last call should be? <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that's a great question. I was kind of asking myself that while I was watching it, you know, it was, it was quite a spectacle to your point. I had my laptop up. I was, you know, that's what I was doing at nine o'clock Eastern on Monday night, you know, and it was, Really, there was nothing else on TV. All the basketball had been done for the weekend. So it's like, yeah, let's watch this new car reveal. And it's also work, right? But um, yeah, this was to me exactly what I thought they would do. You know, I figured that, you know, Mopar would come at us with like this crazy high powered drag style car. Like, I mean, this is like basically a drag racer, is what it is. So, um, you know, you obviously it is street legal, but I mean, this is. It's very extreme. Let's put it that way. Um, so, you know, I figured that would be the like the the game plan and they they executed on that pretty well. A uh, little bit of a hot take. I would argue some of the previous last call models, the different chargers and challengers were more creative in and in, in a way more interesting. You know, when I look at things like uh, the Black Ghost, which summons like the history of uh you know, this kind of like Woodward, like um, Woodward Avenue cruiser from 40, 50 years ago. I thought that was cool. I thought the uh, the Charger King Daytona, which I mean, you want to talk about paint. Look at that thing. Uh, just some of the previous editions, uh, while not as high powered, I thought were a little more creative with their use of different design elements and their use of history. Uh, this to me is just, again, like a street legal drag racer, which is totally fine. You know, that's, that's what the demon was before. Um, in some ways that's like the, the foundation that the Hellcat lineup started to lay down, but, and that's not, not a diss. It's just more like kind of, you know, it's not exactly my flavor of brandy since we're talking about, you know, ethanol, alcohol, 170 <laughs> proof fuel here. Um, sure. I'd love to drive it. It'd be fun to take it down a drag strip, but, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it. So, I mean, it's, they got all the elements of it, right? How you thought they would do it. <clears throat> I thought it was interesting that the, like, there's only the fender flares in back, which is a little bit different than some of the other, uh, models stylistically. They had a reason for that. It saved a little bit of weight. Um, Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I, I'd give it like a B plus. I liked it. You know, I like Chargers and Challengers. I think yeah. they're fun. Muscle cars are fun. But just as far as like what it is, there's other flavors of Chargers and Challengers that I think are a little more in my like my vein, if you will. Like even the like 
the Charger Daytona EV concept, which is a little bit more of a throwback to the 68, and it's an electric car. The vibe of that thing was a little more in my wheelhouse too. So, yeah. 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 You know, one of the things that struck me as as a little surprising at this, uh, just to sort of like wrap it up here at the end, was was the price. Um, yeah. It's only, and I say only, $96,000. Um, I was expecting something firmly into the six-digit uh, area with with this amount of power, um, at this this amount of I don't know, just special things added to the to the vehicle. I mean, like almost the entire engine is is new and different uh, versus just a regular Hellcat to you know accommodate the E85. Um, and uh, you know they, they've just done so much of this car to make it special to you know have it be the last one that. Uh, I was I was a little surprised that it wasn't even more expensive, uh, but that said, even just a quick uh, scan of social media this morning, already seeing markups like crazy. Dealers oh, going yeah. dealers going back and forth. I've I've seen anywhere between fifty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars of markup already being batted around for this thing, um, and it's you know it's it's unfortunate because Dodge I mean said like right in the press release like any dealer selling at MSRP. We'll receive priority scheduling. You'll get your car sooner. Uh, you'll be able to get them to customers, but uh, I don't know that that is that is going to happen at all. It, yeah. it could just be that this this yeah. uh, ninety six thousand dollar Challenger doesn't really exist, and it's going to be a hundred fifty thousand dollar Challenger is is what it really is. <laughs> it also has the like the supply and the demand element to it, mm-hmm. you know, because it is like this is it for the Chargers and Challengers, so. It's not even like, you know, when the Hellcats and Demons came out, you know, geez, eight, nine, five, six years ago, then for the Demon, like you knew, like there was no like, hey, 2035, you know, we're going to pivot more to EVs as like a nation or anything like that. It was like, ah, you know, you don't get this one, there'll probably be another one coming along next year, you know? So this is, this is it as far as like, you know, crazy V8 muscle cars from Dodge. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's interesting to your point. I think the price is actually pretty fair, but good luck finding it for that. Um, yeah, you know, what were your impressions of the the event? I mean, it was quite the spectacle with the like the choppers, the crowd. Tim Kaniskis gave what sounded like uh, like I don't know, like a campaign speech. I couldn't <laughs> believe how long he went on that. Normally, they're like, "This is this, this is this, is this much horsepower." pull the cover off or even bring the car in via chopper. But that dude just kept talking. So, I yeah. mean, what was the event like to be there? Yeah, no, to get some sort of flavor from from the crowd. So, like the the whole day long was was sort of like a roadkill nights sort of situation. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're familiar with that in Michigan, just a bunch of uh, people come out uh, to drag race. Uh, it, was, it was on an actual drag strip at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Um, so, they had that going on. There was an air show happening. There was a car show happening of just a bunch of Chargers, Challengers, Vipers, and whatnot in in the big parking lot. And uh, yeah, so that they had that. Of course, there was food, there were drinks. So there was a fairly big crowd on hand uh, for I guess a Monday afternoon, Monday evening. It's kind of an odd time to uh, bring everybody together. I feel like it probably would have been a lot bigger if it was on like a Friday or Saturday. Um, yeah yeah but uh yeah so there was that and then of course as as we neared reveal time 
uh, the, the Dodge PR people started to, uh, you know, just give us a few hints like, hey, there might be a helicopter. Uh, this, this, this might be happening. So, you know, sort of got down in there uh, for, for positioning to try and capture everything. Um, the security kept throwing us one way and then the other way. The, the helicopter is going to come in from this side. Now we have to move over there. It was it was honestly a bit of chaos um, for for a short time just just trying to get in in position to film it, um, but uh, wow. no then okay. then they started with a uh, a very long speech. They've had a ton of guests um, being yeah. there. Uh, I actually heard almost nothing. Uh, it sounds like you guys yeah. actually had audio um, yep. at at the event. I'm not sure what set of speakers or whatever they were using, but. I could not hear any of any of the people talking. They had Jay Leno around. Wish I could have heard what Leno said, but couldn't hear a word of it. Um, but uh, yeah, then out of nowhere, the helicopter appears over top of the big billboard, um, just carrying a Challenger. The crowd goes wild. They're like, "What is happening?" Um, yeah, and they, you know, it 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 flies by. It makes like a pass of the stands. He's he's like hovering in place for like three minutes or so. Eventually, sets it down. They looked like they were struggling trying to set it down, honestly. Um, it was super, super windy, and they had, like, people guiding it in. And, oh, man, I've, I, I've never seen anybody try to re reveal a car like that. But as soon as they set it down, uh -huh. they drove it down the track strip, turned it around, and then just ripped off a, a really fast launch and uh, an eighth of a mile run, not a quarter of a mile, because that's, that's what they were running at the uh, drag strip right now. But uh, yeah, it did that, and then they came back for another just tire roasting pass and burned rubber the entire way down the eighth mile, and uh, yeah, that was wow. it. So quite yeah. the quite the show. The helicopter definitely stole it. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the last time I saw a car reveal with a chopper. It may have been a Ferrari. I'm not sure. Um, it's not unprecedented, but. You know, to their credit, it's not an easy thing to do. Like you're just watching it like it's on TV, like you're watching some, you know, I don't know, some cop show or something. But then like I kind of take a step back and I'm like, well, wait a minute. I, I know the PR people. I, I've interviewed Caniscus. Like, you know, Zach is there, one of my colleagues. Like this is like real life. You know, this isn't like a Hollywood stunt thing. Like granted, they had to like... I'm sure they used like professionals. I'm sure they used professionals and like all the stuff that you probably would do to make a movie. But it's like, I don't watch it. I, like in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, I, I hope it's not too windy. I hope they land that challenger. Like, let's get it on here, people. You know, like, let's be safe. We were. It, it looked like quite a spectacle. <laughs> we were afraid. I mean, so the, the, there was at one point the car was directly overhead, the media pen, basically. Like, if the rope had broke, it would have fallen directly on my head. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, yeah, nothing I'd, I'd ever experienced like that before, but, uh, Man. it was, it was, it was a fun time. You just got to trust in the, uh, military helicopter. They know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I didn't realize it was like army guys and yeah, you're in, you're in good hands, but mm -hmm. whew, yeah. All right. Well, uh, we got a lot of coverage. We have a, a, a roundup of all of the last call models. So check those out. We have Joel Stocksdale, our news editor, wrote up the initial piece for that. Uh, Zach, you were there. Um, just a really, it's quite the event. You know, it's, it's definitely, uh, 
it's last call. You know, now is like literally right now. If you want a Charger, a Challenger, or a 300, there is a high-powered V8 300 out there uh, that I believe is already sold out. It is. Which if you ask me which one I want, <laughs> that would be the one I would go for. I was at the reveal of that at the Detroit show uh, about eight, nine months ago now. That's a sleeper car. I When I'm thinking like, I know the 300's a little bit of a, you know, sedate car compared to like where the Charger and Challenger have gone. Don't forget, that was like the original like Hemi-powered muscle car there for a minute, you know? So like it came first. So, you know, if if something finds its way into the press fleet, you know, I may call dibs on driving that one. Um, but all right, let's uh, let's move along. Um, let us know what you think too. get in the comments. Let us know what you think of this car. Um, you know, we'd love to hear from you. So speaking of more power, there is an Acura Integra Type S. This is very much in your wheelhouse when you think of uh, you know, things I know that you're very much into. Uh, what did you think of this one? Yeah, so Acura is sort of dripping out some information on the Type S coming here. Uh, we knew, I mean, they, they showed us the camo version of it, like, uh, I want to say like two or three months ago, but now they revealed the horsepower and torque, 320, which is uh, 320 horsepower, which is five more horsepower than the Civic Type R. Uh, so, you know, it's it's not the exact same. I don't really know what what they've done to give it the extra five horsepower. Maybe just a little software tuning, maybe something in the exhaust. Um, but uh, no, it's just a, a neat little tidbit of, of information as we lead up to the launch here, which is going to be coming very soon. Uh, Acura also said in this little reveal of information that uh, it'll be coming to us at the uh, Acura Grand Prix at uh, Long Beach. So... That okay. means that we will have all of the information in just a few weeks and the thing's going to be on sale this summer, supposedly. Um, and the other thing with this little uh, teaser is they gave us a, a listen to the exhaust, which is definitely a different exhaust than the Civic Type R. It's popping and banging and just much more aggressive soundtrack than what Honda does for the Civic Type R, which has honestly been one of that car's weak points ever since the... Uh, the original FK8 came out um, about, uh, I would say, like six or seven years ago now. Um, and even the new one doesn't have that aggressive of an exhaust. Um, but the Integra will. So, yeah, okay. just a few little tidbits. And like you said, uh, right in my wheelhouse, I am so excited to see what this car looks like and what all they've done for it, especially to differentiate it versus the Type R. Um, we're already seeing the... The, the smallest bits of hints that, uh, yeah, it won't just be like a Civic Type R clone. It'll be different in XYZ ways um, and maybe appeal to a slightly different clientele. So I'm excited. Sounds like me, quite frankly. I like I like the Civic Type R a lot, but at times I thought it's been overwrought. I've been excited about the Integra since the beginning. I think, um, you know, I've liked the TLX. I've actually really liked most of the Acuras I've driven in the last probably four or five years. Only letdown has been the infotainment uh, at times. But from like a design, uh, like chassis tuning and the power plants, you know, have been I think they've all been very good. So uh, I, I think this is just another another smart card for them to play. I think, you know, again, somebody you know, who perhaps is like, well, I like the Type R, but I, this Integra Type S, this might be a little, 
you know, a little more like your flavor of brandy. I don't know how many times I can say that in the podcast. It's turning into like a drinking game here. But um, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, so that'll be coming up pretty soon, April 14th to 16th. The Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach is actually, side note, if you like watching IndyCar, which I do, you know, I probably don't watch quite as much of it as Formula One. Um, Part of it is often like the, just the races are like in the middle of the day. It seems like on a Sunday and, you know, weekend, summer, you know, Sundays, Saturdays and Sundays are often a premium. You know, you're not usually necessarily inside, whereas F1 is at times earlier in the day or you record it or ESPN does a good job of replaying it like 10 o'clock at night. So you can kind of come down from the weekend, you know, catch the race again. That's actually what I did this weekend. Um, but. Side note, uh, my point being is you get cool shots of like Long Beach and like the Queen Mary, that old cruise ship. And it's just, uh, there's different races, um, especially in F1, but a little bit in IndyCar where it's like the tracks really make it a little bit more interesting, I think, you know. Um, so, and this is one of them. Absolutely. And right. Acura is making a big deal of it. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Are you gonna? Sometimes you go to Mid Ohio. You think you're gonna try to get down to that race this year, if I recall? Um, no, I'm not doing that. But I, I do have plans to go to. Uh, man, I, I want to say, I think it's the eight hours at the Glen. Um, yeah, got, that's cool. Got some uh, family and friends that are that are wanting to go to it. So I'm like, well, yeah, I guess count me in. I'd love to go to that yeah. race, and I've never actually seen yeah. a race at Watkins Glen before. So. It's on the list. I'm that better. and Lime Rock are two. I've never been to either of those. Uh, I mean, those are two just very like historic Northeast tracks, like two of the most historic tracks. So, yeah, man, uh, be interested to hear what you think. That should be awesome. I'm excited for it. All right. Real quick, Electric Explorer. This is for Europe uh, only for now. Looks vastly different. Uh, we saw this come out earlier this week. Uh, sort of a nice contrast to the Demon, the latest Demon. Uh, yeah, I think it looks good. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what the broader implications are for this, because this is European spec. It's built on uh, the Volkswagen platform, which I believe it's called MEB. Uh, they got a few different, you know, versions of this chassis and these underpinnings. But um, yeah, they revealed it uh, over there, as they say. Um, it honestly, to me, it looks like a Volvo or a Polestar or something. The design is really, really striking. Uh, I think it looks good. It's just for Americans. If you look at that, you're going to be like, wait, that's a Ford Explorer? Because that is that is not like what we've come to know and you know identify the Explorer as, that's for sure. But um, you know, we'll see. It's um, There's basically no like implications as to what's next for when you know, if, when this type of, you know, product could come to the U.S. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, it's, that's what we know. It's a, uh, it's a weird one. When I saw that they named it Explorer, I sort of did a double take and was like, wait, what an electric Explorer. Nobody knew that that was coming. I had no idea that that was right. a thing, but then I read, oh, this is for Europe. And, uh, I was like, okay, fine. It's still weird that they use the Explorer name though. Like it's it's not a three row SUV. Doesn't really feel like an Explorer in many ways or really any ways at all. Um, it's honestly more like <clears throat> maybe between like an Escape or Ford Edge size vehicle. 
Um, mm. But uh, name aside, it looks like a great EV. Um, yeah. It would probably clash with the Maki if if they sold it here. Um, it has yeah. a bit of a you know slick back look to it. Um, it's definitely not as performance focused as as something like that. This is much more mainstream. Um, but uh, no, the the one thing that I saw that sort of caught my eye um, was it has an adjustable infotainment screen. Uh, you can change mm. the angle at which it presents itself. So you can do like straight up and down or lean it back. Um, and that's just like the Mercedes AMG SL. Uh, and the reason that they do that is is to try and cut down on glare from the sun. Um, I, I'd be curious to know Ford's reasoning for uh, for why the screen can move so much, but it has a lot of adjustment to it, uh, which I was I was surprised to see. And maybe something like that will come to the U.S. I'd I'd be intrigued to uh, to know if that's something they can do. Maybe not on the Volkswagen MEB platform, but uh, to integrate it here too. Yeah, I think that uh, that's an interesting kind of clever uh, clever move. I think. Uh, you know, you can always, I think we can always improve those sort of applications. So I think um, we'll just see. And then one thing that I kind of hemmed and hawed at the start of this, to be clear, uh, we did our, uh, we did some reporting on this, if you will, Ronan Glan, our man in Europe, who would know very well. Uh, he reached out to them, to Ford uh, PR for like, you know, comment here. And it's basically, no, this thing is not coming here. Basically, what they're doing is they're using the Explorer because it's a strong name on a crossover in Europe. Um, they will. This is some good reporting on Ronan's part. They're actually going to stop building the actual Explorer, Explorer as we know it, uh, for Europe as well in the middle of this year. Apparently, they sell it in small numbers over there. I didn't know that. That's kind of interesting. But that's going to kind of clear up confusion uh, over there across the pond, if you will. So. Um, that's kind of interesting, I think. Um, it reminds me a little bit of this is not totally related, but like how Chevy brought like the Blazer and Trailblazer names. It used them on vehicles that are not at all like what you would think of a traditional Blazer or Trailblazer. They just that was the name they wanted to use because it was the strongest name they had. So they used it. And that to me is sort of how it looks like Ford is shaking this out. So um yeah. And I mean, it also, I think, does work for Europe because they don't roll around in hulking SUVs generally like we do. It's not like you have one kid and you buy a huge Explorer like you do over here. Um, so for them, I think the Explorer name does kind of translate to a little bit of a smaller crossover type vehicle that is still relatively big for their roads over there. So uh, it's all relative. That's uh, that's an interesting point you make on the uh, like our Explorer that is sold in Europe um, that it, that will be discontinued uh, like next year. Uh, I, I remember writing a story that I just pulled up on my computer here. They they actually sell a plug-in hybrid version of our Explorer in Europe, and it makes more horsepower and torque than our Explorer ST does here. Um, and I was always a little like, oh wow, why can't we have that Explorer plug-in hybrid? Um, I don't know. Maybe if, if if they get rid of it in in Europe, maybe that means we could uh, beg for it to come here um, because it looks like it's like the highest performance Explorer you can you can buy. It has six hundred twenty pound feet of torque, which is just like ridiculous for an Explorer. Um, but uh, no more in Europe. 
we can we can hope that maybe they'll uh homologate it over here i don't know just some pie yeah. in the sky thinking about some weird european cars Ford sold cars in Europe, uh, all across Europe, for a very long time. Like they're one of the first uh, American automakers to go over there and really carve out a foothold, uh, build a lot of like domestic operations. In many, it's interesting, especially in the UK, many like like locals, if you will, like Ford isn't like it's Ford. It's an American company, but they don't look at it as some like foreign company. It's just like Ford, you know, Ford of the UK, Ford of Germany. They've been over there for like so long that it's, you know, they're not BMW or Vauxhall or Jaguar, but it's like Ford really over over a century has built up that kind of like, you know, we're here, your family works for Ford, like they have a lot of factories over there. And it's interesting to me too some of the product strategies that I think they've done over there. That are, I think, a little more creative than I've seen some of like, uh, like General Motors and uh, Stellantis, aka Chrysler. Although Stellantis seems to rule half of Europe at this point, mm-hmm. um, like they're willing to try some things, and like that's where you get those like kind of cool looking Mondeo like wagon things, and we're like, oh man, why don't they do that here or the Puma? Uh, like it is a very like tailored strategy for Europe. And maybe that's why they've done a little better over there than General Motors ever did. Um, so, uh, all right, let's talk about car reviews. You've driven a couple of interesting ones. Let's start off with the BMW XM. Oh yeah, uh, this this was a a whole whole lot to dissect here. I went on the first drive for this uh, about a little over a week ago at this point. Um, first drive published on the site on Friday last week. And uh, yeah, this this car has probably drawn and just created more more dissent, criticism, differing opinions than any BMW I've I've seen in a long time. Even like the BMW M3 and M4 with the big grills, uh, the 4 Series massive facelift with also the giant kidneys. Um, just in general, the idea of you know, all right, this is an M exclusive vehicle. And it's a big SUV that weighs a lot, and it's a plug-in hybrid. Um, you know, the, those all seem like things that are, you know, the exact opposite of what people think of when they think of BMW M. You know, it's it's a very high high performance brand, and uh, big SUV doesn't exactly speak to that. Uh, but the reality of of driving it is, well, this is my favorite driving of any of the BMW M SUVs out there right now. Uh, there are mm-hmm. there are a lot of them, uh, like the X3M, X5M, X6M. There's even like M Sport stuff, like the X7, M60i. Um, but uh, I think that this new XM is definitely the king of the mountain, uh, as it should be for one hundred sixty thousand um, dollars. And one of the the big takeaways from from driving this thing uh, is the fact that it is a plug-in hybrid, and I think it's better because it's a plug-in hybrid. Um, you have a very powerful electric motor. Uh, it's just about 200 horsepower, 200 pound-feet of torque. Um, and when you smack the throttle, the thing sends you back like you're driving a very fast electric car. Uh, if you've driven like a Model 3 Performance or uh, like a Kia EV6 GT or any of those like, I don't know, like 0 to 60 in the mid threes seconds electric cars, that's the kind of kick that you get right off the line. 
And then before there's any sort of fade, boom, the 4.4 liter twin turbo V8 has, has kicked in and you're, you're flying along, making great V8 noises, popping, burbling, uh, doing everything that you'd expect a BMW M vehicle to do. Um, so the powertrain is great. It's super refined. Uh, even driving around in electric mode is, is really great. Has about 30 miles of, of electric range when it's, when it's fully charged. And, uh, there's enough power to, uh, actually just hop off the line real quick. You don't feel like you need to get into that gas engine all the time. Driven plenty of plug-in hybrids where it's like, oh man, really accelerating slowly here. I don't know. This, I feel like I need to dip into the gas engine to merge onto the highway or something like that. Not so with this car. Uh, it is, it is quick and, uh, gets up to its 87 mile per hour max electric top speed very quickly. Um, now, as far as handling, and, uh, you know, this is a 6,000-pound SUV, another one of the big problems that people have, have, have cited with this thing. Uh, it doesn't handle like a 6,000-pound car at all. It feels, uh, you know, like a very high-performance-focused SUV. It has, uh, you know, the electromechanical uh, anti-roll bars. So this thing stays like flat as a board when you have it in the full sport plus mode. Uh, the chassis has a lot of really great stiffening all throughout it that, uh, you know, just makes it feel like it weighs, I'd probably say like 500 to a thousand pounds less than what it is. Um, the brakes are stupid good. You don't really feel the weight in and amongst the, the twisties. Um, and, uh, you're not really penalized with it in the ride either. Uh, that's one of the areas where this thing is like so much better than like an X5M or X3M. Those things will just punish you on a, on a poor road. Uh, this thing, on the other hand, it, it won't. Uh, it actually rides really, really well. Uh, surprisingly so for how well it handles. Um, so for all those reasons, like, like this thing is without a doubt like my favorite driving MSUV. Um, the looks, all right. I'm sure that everybody's going to have their opinions. Um, I like the way it looks. I think that you like the way it looks too, Greg, from our past conversations about it. I think the interior is spectacular. Um, all around, just like a really, really great car. Um, one of the best efforts from, from M that I've seen in a while. Um, and in, in, in my conclusion for the review and all, like it, it is better because it's a plug-in hybrid. Um, and I think that that that's really good for the future of M because we're going to have a lot of plug-in hybrid and hybridized and even electric, fully electric M cars coming. So this is, this is a good first bout, I think. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I agree with you. I, I like how it looks. It's got some character, some style. I think that's, uh, the kind of, it's a larger grill, but it's not the largest, if you will. Uh, we've seen on some of the BMW models. And I think it works on the SUVs, maybe better than it does on most of the cars. Uh, it's like you said, the plug-in hybrid is, uh, um, it's very versatile. I think it does, it offers you a lot of, uh, you know, different like ways you can live with the vehicle, which I think is important, especially for a vehicle of this size. So uh, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to drive this. I think it's, it's very, it's going to be very interesting. And it's, you know, I don't know. It's it's a little flashy. Let's put it that way. Uh, and it's expensive, you know. So it's it's definitely something where um, you know I look at whenever we kind of kick around these cars. I like to read what other people have written. And Car and Driver called it a buffet of excess. So um, you know, that's 
there's a lot to eat here. Let's put it that way. So, yeah. It's, it's definitely a buffet of stuff. Uh, there's just like so many new and like, all right, this is the first time we've seen this on a BMW before sort of thing. I mean, a lot of the details like the crazy like geometric Alcantara headliner, uh, like the natural leather on on the dash. Uh, it's just, you know, it, it, it takes the level of luxury up to and honestly even past uh, what a lot of things are coming from like Mercedes-Benz or Audi these days. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it genuinely feels special in there um, as, as it should, because this, this thing, I mean, on price performance and all those, those metrics, it legitimately competes with things like the Cayenne turbo SE hybrid, uh, like a Lamborghini Urus or a Bentley Bentayga, it's sort of like a budget version of like the Bentayga or the, uh, Urus. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know it has. Oh, that's a funny sentence. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Because if you look at the cut cost, the Urus is just it's a little too much. Let's look at this BMW, you know, yeah, which yeah. it's probably been done before a few times. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it um, as as a flagship SUV, uh, this this thing really really gets the job done by uh, wowing in pretty much every way. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Now, speaking of, uh, uh, let's see. Well, why don't we do plug-in hybrid first? Or excuse me, stay with the plug, things with the plug and go over the EV6. You did a pretty long road trip in it. You charged it some Tesla chargers, which is breaking news, something you can now do. Not everybody even probably knows that. Uh, where did you go and what was the charging experience like? Yeah. So, I, I recently just did a road trip with our EV6 here. Tesla has opened up their charging network to a certain degree uh, for non-Tesla EVs. So I wanted to go charge a, an electric vehicle on one of their chargers, see what it was like. Um, I drove to Fredonia, New York, which is the closest uh, charger to our home base here in Detroit that uh, Tesla has opened mm-hmm. up. Right now, it's mostly limited to just New York and California. And a few other states okay. on the West Coast, I think, have, have opened up spots. But um, yeah, so I drove the EV6 there. Uh, you know, it, it's super simple to get things going. You just download the Tesla app, upload your payment information, and uh, it prompts you like right away. Like the first thing on the app, charge your non-Tesla EV. You just click into that, find your station. Okay. Uh, it, it, it knows where you're at. Um, you back into any of the stalls like they had uh man i want to say it was like 14 or 15 stalls there talk about a difference between electrify america or like an ev go with like three or four stalls like 15 choices to choose from that was awesome um not as like there literally wasn't were no other cars there but uh it's it, that's great to see that um if there were a bunch of cars there you'd absolutely have a place to be at um, but as soon as you find your stall, uh, you just go into the app, tap a little button that uh, asks you to uh, unlock the charger. You press that, it prompts you to push in the charger, and then it pulls out the Tesla Magic Dock, um, which is the, the adapter that you need uh, to actually plug in the Tesla charger into something like the EV6 with the CCS connector. Um, and you plug that in. As soon as you plug it in, uh, the app just tells you, okay, it's plugged in. It could take up to two minutes to start charging. 
and uh yeah but it, it started within about 15 to 20 seconds and it was it was charging away um so that was all very seamless easy and great um the only downside which is a pretty big downside for a lot of people with ev6s ionic 5s and a number of other uh, 800 volt architecture vehicles is that it's slow charging um so you max out at about 42 kilowatts, unfortunately. Um, Interesting. Reasoning for that, the Tesla superchargers yeah. and, and all Tesla vehicles run off a 400 volt charging system and electrical architecture, um, whereas the EV6 and a lot of other new EVs run off an 800 volt system. So those don't talk to each other. Uh, they're not. Uh, they're not made the. Those superchargers are not made to charge 800 volt vehicles, so they cannot take advantage of, of the speed. If you had your 400 volt architecture Tesla, uh, it could charge it up to 250 kilowatts. Um, wow. And uh, without going into too much more technical detail, it's, uh, yeah, you're, you're just going to be charging fairly slowly um, if, if you have uh, one of those 800 volt vehicles. Um, some of them work, work better than others because some of them have slightly better internal chargers um that allow them to take a higher charge speed but um yeah it's it's sort of like a, a mixed bag of like okay now these tesla superchargers are open and you can charge there but your experience will differ based on the vehicle that you have there's there's no doubt about that um you're you're way better off and if you have like an ev6 like us going to find that electrify america and plugging in because you're going to be charging at speeds upwards of 200, 230 kilowatts, um, wow. which is fast versus the 42. I mean, for for a little reference on on the timing it would take, when I plugged into that Tesla one, it would have taken an hour and 40 minutes for me to get to 80% from I was at wow. about like 8%. I plugged into the EA right across the street afterwards. It took about 15 minutes for me to get to 80%. So... Yeah. Yeah. That's... An interesting experience, a learning experience, um, yeah. one that I can't wait to write about. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I um, so I had the EV6 uh, before you, and I, I really did enjoy like every minute of it. It was one of the fastest, like long termer loans I've had. Sometimes you have a long termer, you're like, oh geez, when's this car going to move on? I'm ready to try something else, something a little more interesting. But I, I loved every minute of it, and my charging experience was a little bit all over the place. It was very cold when I had it. So the car was cold, the chargers were cold. Sometimes you wonder, you know, just how are the, the finicky chargers working on that day? Uh, but there were a couple of times I was able to like get to like 80, like 82% or something like that. Um, with about the same time frame you mentioned at a charge point. Uh, it was probably like half an hour, maybe a little bit over, but still like a reasonable amount of time to hang out at a charge station that is ostensibly a, a fast charger. So. Uh, at times, though, it was crawling, and I would spend almost an hour there, or you know, the, the charge point's pretty close to my house, and I would just give up. And I'm like, whatever, I'm at 40, 50%. That's good enough. You probably didn't have that option when you're on a road trip. So I think that's a really, you know, illuminating, you know, opportunity, if you will, to kind of do some storytelling. And I think it's it's interesting too, because you know, allowing the superchargers to be open gives like, you know, EV owners like more of a safety net. And that's really important. You know, like if you had the time, you weren't going to go home 
hungry or powerless. You know what I mean? Like you had a method to get home, which is one of the challenges of being an EV owner or driver, if maybe you don't own the car, but say you're driving one and there's just like, you've got this much range and there isn't a charger for this much range. That's a problem. So, you know, it's definitely a key like strategic play, but there's also some details in there that like, I think even at the time of the announcement, it's like, well, okay, that's great. That is great. But then you kind of look at you're like, well, look at the experience that that you had. And it's like, well, that, that would take a little bit longer. But it's also like to look at this another way. We're just in such early days of really building out the charging network that I mean, it's, you know, in two years, it won't take you an hour and 40 minutes. Like I guarantee you, it'll be something different. It'll be like, it'll be, they'll find a way to make a proper adapter or something and make it. 30 minutes. So that that's was, cool, man. What did you do while you were waiting? I guess you went over to the EV. Yeah. Electrify I, America, I but... literally just gave up. It was like, uh, I don't know, probably about 11 PM midnight raining outside, uh, wanted to go, you know, I charged for probably like 10 or 15 minutes on the Tesla supercharger. Just watched it. Um, yeah. just went and got a bunch of photos and and yeah. uh yeah but then i so i charged twice i did it there on on the way there and then i also did it on the way back uh same experience both times um so and both times uh i went and charged at the electrify america afterwards because you don't get much charge sitting at the tesla supercharger um but uh, to your point you know once more of these are open it is a great little safety net you know say all four of the EAs across the street are taken. Uh, you know, you could just stroll across the the road to the Tesla supercharger, uh, go grab a nice long lunch or something like that, and then get back on the road. And it actually isn't so bad if you let it charge for a long time. If you're just looking to do a quick in and out, less so. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. And I've, you know, using the different charging brands, if you will, um, you know, you do see differences. And even among like, you know, one Electrify America to another Electrify America charge station, or, you know, I've had different luck with different charge points. Uh, and there's a lot of them out there now. It's, you know, I think just to get like, to get like the infrastructure where we want it to be, you just, they need to be consistent, well-maintained. Um, you know, we, we still have a variety of electric vehicles out there you know, that, you know, whether they're like fast charging or not fast charging, uh, that don't work on certain ones. So that's something that I think we need to sew up. And by we, I mean, we as a society, <laughs> I guess, Greg, the EVs are. And I also kind of think too, like, you're going to see like slow charging vehicles, quote unquote, start to go by the wayside, you know, because I think, you know, to look at our 330E, you know, it's the way that works is you have a home charger, you know, you like a level two home charger. You do it with level one and takes all night. You do it with, you can't fast charge it. So it's gotta be like, that's the solution for that. So, but again, it's a plug-in hybrid. So you're probably not gonna like on your road trip seek out a charger, but yeah. All right, tell me about the Jetta Sport. We'll do that. And then we'll uh, start to move towards the finish line here. Yeah, Jetta Sport. This was uh, an interesting one. I, I was a little surprised when I hopped in it. Uh, it was a manual. Uh, so, okay. yes, you can still buy just the base Jetta with the manual transmission. Very, you know, base 
spec of a vehicle, you know, just for around uh, $20,000, uh, you know, with, with, with options, this, this one was about $23,000. Um, but uh, no, the reason that I, I, I like to talk about this car is just because like, here's a really cheap car with pretty much everything that you might want on it as, as a daily. That's also kind of fun. Um, it has Apple CarPlay, Android Auto. It has a fully digital dash. It has a nice climate control system has, uh, you know, keyless entry. And it, it, it has all of these these great new things that you want in a new car. Um, and it has a six-speed manual, a 1.5 turbo. It's not fast by any means, but it gets great fuel economy. The six-speed is, is, is fun to row through. Um, and, uh, you know, it's there's just not a lot of, you know, fun, cheap cars out there anymore. Um, but this one being the sport, it has the brake-based torque vectoring system on it. Uh, I went around a few clover leaves in it. This thing's actually pretty fun and uh, a good handling car. Uh, it feels super lightweight. Um, overall, like just a, a really fun little package that I almost didn't even realize existed until I hopped into it. Um, I mean, there are still things like the Honda Civic Sport uh, or Sport Touring you can get with a manual transmission. Um, but as far as like fun, cheap things out there, uh, you know, this this Jetta Sport was, was just a little bit of a surprise and a very delightful one at that. Um, and I liked it a lot. James actually uh, wrote a little re review for us last year. Um, you should probably go check that out because it's basically the same car as as the one that we were driving. Um, and he liked it a lot too. Um, it's, you know, it, it's not a, a high performance GLI. It's not a Civic SI. It's not going to blow you away in, in any of those ways. But for somebody that just wants something cheap, gets great fuel economy, is kind of fun and has all of the little tech things that you might want, uh, this thing has it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a rarity these days when everything is, you know, we've got the average transaction price over 45 near, I feel like we're, we're getting closer and closer to $50,000 every day and you can go pick this thing up for 23 grand. So yeah, okay. just a little sounds fun. I mean, appreciation for the Jetta sport. <laughs> I'm curious too, like, what did you think of the, just the Volkswagen manual and the regular Jetta? Cause it's been a while, but I, I imagine it's the same manual that I, you know, drove previously. I, I've always kind of liked it. It's kind of like playful, the throws are a little bit longer. The clutch is easy. But what did you think? It's also very like easy transmission. This is not a GTI or a Speed 3 or anything like that. But what yeah. did you think of it? Yeah, it's honestly just like you described it. A little longer throws, a lighter clutch, lighter throws themselves shifting. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's still some good engagement. You can still feel it, you know, a nice little confirmation clunk through the gears. Yeah, uh, which which just makes it satisfying and fun to drive. I was talking with uh, news editor Joel Stocksdale, who I passed the car off to um, af after driving it, and he was having fun too. Uh, we were both just a little like, "Wow, man, more people need to know about this thing because this is a surprisingly fun car." Here, are two enthusiasts uh, over here just like weirdly gushing about this twenty three thousand dollar Volkswagen Jetta. Um, so yeah, great little manual transmission. It's not like a uh, manual that you won't enjoy driving. Um, it's, 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 it's plenty enjoyable. You know, if you're just popping around town or slamming through the gears, 
You, you really do have to uh, rev it out and slam through the gears if you want to accelerate onto the highway. So like I said before, it's not fast <laughs> by any means. But uh, that's that's Driving where your fuel economy comes fast. in. Exactly. Slow car fast. Go. So a lot of fun. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, let's talk about just a quick long-term update. Our other long-termer, that's the Toyota Sienna. I plan to take that on a long road trip um, coming up, so that should be fun. Uh, but right now, I've just been enjoying living with it. Daily use, you know, the, the family, my son and the dog, they all like it. That's the point of a minivan. The back area is extremely uh, cavernous. We have the third row seats down, and you can put like anything back there. You could camp <laughs> back there. Um, you know, a couple things I've noticed, just kind of like little, I wouldn't call them Easter eggs, but like features, I guess, for lack of a better term, is just how many different ways you can open the doors. That's nice. Like the driver can do it up front so the kids can, you know, tuck and roll, jump out. The doors have a button on the handle. You can also pull the handle. And then there's another button inside, like kind of in the cabin, if you will. So a bunch of different ways to open the car, plus the key fob too. So it's like the, it's like all minivans, but the good ones give you a lot of different ways to open that door, uh, especially the sliding doors specifically. Um, so I like that. The second row captain's chairs have footstools. That's kind of cool. I didn't realize that at first, but that's kind of comfy. You can slide them back and, you know, for a long road trip, it's not a bad place to hang out. Um, yeah, no, just kind of like fun things like that, that you might not discover in like a couple days or even a week long loan, but you know, you're with it two, three weeks. You're like, oh, this is cool. This works. Um, you know, the one thing I would also say is I like, again, I spent a lot of time recently in the 330E and then the EV6, which are tight cabins. Man, it's still pretty cold out. A minivan takes a long time to warm up. You know, you are heating <laughs> a lot of airspace in there. Uh, so that's, you know, that's another thing to consider. Um, you know, I'm really liking it. It's a hybrid, which I think is great. You know, 35 miles per gallon, I think combined is a very strong figure. Drained half the tank and haven't even thought about filling it up, which when you drive plug-ins and EVs, you tend to look at your gasoline-powered vehicles a little differently. You look at range. Um, but I'm enjoying it. You know, I, I think it's, uh, it's again, it's a very, uh, very capable minivan. Looking forward to spending a few more weeks with it and getting to know it better. Yeah, I'll have to look up. Uh, I'll have to log into the app and see maybe maybe we can open the doors from the app too. It's almost oh, like I a, bet you you can. There's, there's 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 probably a post in there like all right, you can open the doors of the Toyota Sienna like seven different ways. Um, yeah. Even even oh, using yeah. an app that would that would be really cool. I hope you can open it via an app because that would just be the icing on the cake. <laughs> It's funny with all these, the apps these days, like I just deleted a couple of charging ones because I don't have a charger and I have an electric car right now. So I'm trying to save some space on my phone. The Kia had, the Kia EV6 had an app. So, you know, man, it's just like, you know, so many apps these days for everything, of course, but for cars, you know, like you get the press car and then you download the app, you know, which I think is kind of cool. Ford had a good one, uh, you know, when I had the Mach-E a while ago, that was pretty good. So, yeah, it's, it's, so, even, yeah, that's a Toyota Sienna. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I was, I was just going to say like, it, it's even more important to have the apps running on, on EVs because you can really like, you can monitor the charging yeah. progress. There's just so much more that you can do with that versus like the app for, 
something like a Toyota Sienna, a gas car. Um, so getting more and more important to download those apps and uh, test them out. Yeah, the, the ChargePoint app was pretty good. It wouldn't take my credit card, which is a point of contention. Um, but, you know, once you get set up with it, it is actually easier to use the app than it is to just swipe your card. Um, you do have to make sure your phone's working and everything's fine. But after complaining about that, I actually ended up kind of liking that experience. Um, <laughs> you know, but I, I mean, I still think they should have that redundant swipe, chip, whatever you have to do. I get that you're probably not going to roll up and drop a 20 into the machine, but <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't think app-based is the only way you should be able to charge at some of these places, but um, yeah, it is cool to look at how much <laughs> juice you're getting. Who, who is out there advocating? Let's, let's put some little pop-up shops next to uh, EV chargers. We can have some dude in there. You can go hand him a 20. Yeah. Like I'd like $20 on that charger, please. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just imagine, just like that. it's a gas station, <laughs> exactly. a gas station in New Jersey or something. You know, it's they do it for you. Exactly. But, oh man, <laughs> that would be funny. Well, speaking of money, should we spend some? Let's do it. Right. I always love it. Let's do it. All right. So Joe writes, and this is a long one, so I'll try to kind of break it up a little bit. Uh, writing back to ask your opinion about a car for his daughter. He wanted to give an update on a previous spend my money question uh, as well. So first the update. Back in October, November of 2020, uh, he wanted to get a first car for his oldest daughter, who was then 16. I wanted to get a hot hatch with a manual transmission, looked at the C30, Mazda 3, Audi A3, or VW GTI. Uh, this, these were used. The price point was around 10 grand. He went with a 2017 VW Golf TSI with a 1.8 liter gas turbo and an automatic. Uh, let's see. Long story short was uh, his daughter decided she didn't really want the manual transmission, uh, but it worked for like her hockey gear and stuff like that. Fast forward to now. Uh, the daughter is a freshman in college with no car and the other daughter has been driving the Golf. So uh, basically he needs to get another car at this point. Kind of long story short. Uh, he's willing to uh, entertain a number of different preferences beyond his own. Like it sounds like he's kind of admitting, Joe is admitting, hey, he, he likes hot hatches and that's the car he picked for his daughter in simple terms. So he's maybe, maybe a little more open-minded here on that. And that's good. Price point is 12K to 14K. Uh, his daughter wants kind of a boxy styled car with a cool color. Uh, could be anything, could be like flashy, could be ugly. So, you know, a lot of different things going on. Uh, let's see, prefer under 50,000 miles if possible and fuel efficient. It's a roughly 30 mile uh, round trip drive to and from school. Here are the top choices. Kia Soul, lots of ugly color choices. Just a lot of choices with the Kia Soul. Let's put it that way. The VW uh, New Beetle, it's the Beetle at this point. Nissan Cube, Honda Element, Scion XB, uh, the Fiat 500, Mini Cooper, and, and that's it. Out of the above, uh, he likes the Mini the best, uh, but would rather not get an automatic. For what it's worth, the automatic and Minis, on the rare occasion I've driven them, they're not bad. I mean, you still get all of the fun steering and chassis dynamics. You know, it's just not maybe exactly what you would want, but it's still a pretty fun car. I'll say that. Uh, he's also worried about uh, reliability. Fair. Second choice would be the Kia, which I think isn't too bad. Uh, but it might be a little bit older and have a lot of miles. Anything else I should consider? Thanks, Joe. Thank you. 
So um, this is interesting. This to me is almost like a spend my money from like five or six years ago. Like, you know, you're talking about the, the Kia Soul, the Honda Element, the Nissan Cube. So I think it's kind of cool to flash back. And I, I remember at the start of my career, these cars were brand new. I went on the Soul original launch in Miami back in whatever that was, 09 or something. So I'm really dating myself here. I was, I was a young pup at that point. Let's put it <laughs> that way. This wasn't like some mid-career arc. This was a long time ago. But these things, like these sort of like, you know, squared off vehicles were really, you know, in vogue for a minute there in the early 2010s. I think they've still held up well. Uh, but I'll toss it over to you, Zach. Which, uh, which of these cars do you think he and his daughter should go with? Yeah. You know, the one that sticks out to me, the one that I like myself, uh, would probably be the Honda Element. Uh, okay. I long considered one of those as a winner beater myself. Uh, you know, they're just so versatile. They're relatively yeah. cheap still. It's going to be reliable. And when things break, it's probably going to be on the cheaper side to fix. Um, and this is a car that, you know, I feel like she can take through high school. She can take to college. Uh, you can, you know, if, if you're going off to college somewhere, you can take a lot of crap in it. Um, it's e e even more so than say like a Kia Soul or the Nissan Cube. Uh, it's just a slightly larger vehicle than those. And so I think that you're getting some, some good value, uh, especially if, you know, you're not really caring that much about driving dynamics. Will a, will a new Beetle or say like a Fiat 500 or Mini Cooper handle a lot better and be a lot more fun to drive? Yeah, they absolutely will be. Um, but uh, I just feel like a, a Honda Element might be the best choice in this sort of situation. Uh, you will have to live with it being a little on the older side, um, but yeah. that's that's the case with a lot of cars on this list. Um, and I think that you'll have the best of luck over time with the uh, with the Element. All right. Fair choice. I think, you know, the Mini Cooper would be the most interesting, but it is, you know, even in this segment on the small side. So, you know, that's something I think, you know, that's a conversation you guys are going to kind of want to have as a family is what, what do you guys prioritize? I would go with either the Soul or the Element. I, um, I like the Soul. It's funky. Uh, I think the design, which has evolved in the last 10 years, 10, 15 years, still kind of holds up pretty well. There's some kind of they do some fun things with the interior, um, so that that's kind of cool. That would probably be ah, that might be my top choice. Uh, obviously, with the Element, you get all that Honda reliability. They haven't made the Element in a while, so you're still going to be getting a bit of an older vehicle at this point if you want to go down that road. Um, but um, I, I also like the styling of the Element a lot. One of my neighbors has one, and it has these kind of like random wheels on it. I, I wouldn't say it's slammed, but it's it's just it's got some aftermarket like wheel stuff going on. And I, I was looking at it the other day and I was like, oh, man, the element was cool. I mean, it was kind of a fun like crossover thing, you know, like they really yeah. were going for it back then. So and those would be my two. Yeah. And that, that's the thing with, with the element is that like it sort of has a cult following. So there are a lot of mm -hmm. people that have like really taken care of these cars. And yeah. I bet that you can find one in that 12 to 14 K range you can find a really nice Honda element, like one with decent miles, mm -hmm. looks like it just came off the factory yeah. factory room floor. Like this is, this is a, a you know, semi sought after vehicle. Um, I, yeah. And I feel like something like a Fiat 500 or Scion XB or, 
Nissan Cube, they're not going to have received the same love and care from yeah. a lot of passionate owners. So find that element from from a some some person that's owned it for a while and has loved it, and I bet that it'll treat you well. Yeah, looks like the last model year was eleven. So now you are starting to kind of go back into into history a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, again, you get that Honda reliability, and you get you know get one that's well taken care of. It should definitely be okay for like you know high school and college that type type of thing. Would definitely go with a Honda over like you know the Fiat reliability of really any vintage. Let's put it that way, and you know even the Mini. So yeah, I mean that's that's what we do. Let us know, Joe. Um, thanks for writing in again. So I will. I'll close things out since we started off with ethanol and 170 proof. I'm not drinking anything like that, but <laughs> I did have a hazy Space Force IPA last night. Tangerine it was good. I grilled some Italian sausages outside. I made the skillet of cowboy beans, cast iron on the grill. It was really a nice kind of Tuesday night. Uh, you're just back from Vegas. You're probably a little jet lagged. I don't know. Do you have a beer going on in Vegas? What is your drink here? As we, it's the first official like full week, not full week, even like first week of spring. Yeah, man. I, uh, I unfortunately couldn't try any Vegas beer when I was out there. That wasn't part of the event. But uh, at that yeah. XM drive, I got to try some fun uh, Arizona beer. Had this one uh, Scottsdale Blonde and an Arizona Light Lager. They were both fantastic. I honestly wish that I could that have brought. That sounds good. Yeah, like the Scottsdale Blonde that I had was like a like a sweet finish to it. It was like super tasty. Mm. One of the better uh, blonde ales that I've 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 had. If I could have brought some back, I absolutely would have. So, if you're out there, if you if you see any, I would I would definitely pick that up. It was super good. Yeah, that style of beer is nice. Very easy drinking. It's good. You know, can be beach beer too, if you will. So. Sounds good. We hope you've enjoyed the show this week. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your spend my monies. That's podcast at autoblog.com. Be safe out there, and we'll see you next week.